God in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high up on a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent <laughs> sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Beloved, we praise God because not just he is a great God, but he has greatly loved us. He has protected for us. He has provided for us. And he will not let us go. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. But like we just sing, what a cost, bought it at, what, at such a cost. He will protect us. He will hold us fast. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we rejoice in the truth of your word. Father, we are kept by your power, under your grace, under your mercy. Father, you will not let our foot slip, but you will deliver us. And we praise you for that. You are the God of our salvation, not just salvation of the past, but salvation forevermore. And it's in God that we pray in Jesus' name. And all of his people said, amen and amen. Well, grab your seat. Go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to, to Romans chapter 11, the very end of Romans chapter 11. I didn't put a text on your uh, worship notes today because we'll be in several texts but if there is a primary text this morning it would be this one Romans chapter 11 perhaps the passage of scripture that that is the most challenging as far as a section goes the most confounding the most difficult to understand the most chafing to my natural reason is found in Romans 8 through 11 I mean that is that's some tough stuff through there you're going to find some of the, teach, uh, the toughest teaching in, in all of the Bible, Romans 8 through 11. But at the end of that is one of my favorite moments in all of Scripture. It comes at the end of that section and is found in Romans 11, 33 through 36. And here's what the Word of God says. Romans 11, 33 through 36, it says, Oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
So you see, beloved, in this moment of doxology, right? this is the moment of praise, absolute praise by Apostle Paul, we come to recognize one of the most important truths found in Scripture. God's ways are often not our ways, right? God's ways don't always make sense to us. But God's ways are always better. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, don't just give me the Sunday school answer because let's be real, there are things that bump up against us and we go, I, I don't know God, that doesn't sound better. God doesn't think like a human. God doesn't judge things like a human. God doesn't design things like a human. God doesn't plan things like a human. And His ways are always better. I'm going to take a break this morning from my Second Coming of Christ series to shine some biblical light on, on a dialogue that sprung up since we first published the draft version uh, of our up to, uh, updated Constitution and Bylaws. We gave that out to the church Wednesday, September 27th, so almost a month ago or over a month ago at this, uh, at, at, at this point. Um, yeah, today's the 29th, right? <laughs> we had a presentation and Q&A with the deacons. We had a presentation and Q&A with our Sunday school teachers. Uh, and committee members. We had a presentation and Q&A with, with the entire church body. Uh, and one of the topics that came up, uh, particularly in those last two meetings, and it's been a topic of ongoing conversation ever since, even after uh, the operations committee put forth our final draft two weeks ago, uh, and that's the role of men and women in the overall leadership of this church. Um, we put forth in the proposed bylaws the formation of, of what we've called a leadership council. And we've put in your bulletin an insert there that just gives the breakdown um, so that we can kind of focus in on that aspect of it. But you can read the summary. We'll also have it on your screen here. But here's what it says, and here's what we've proposed for the church. It says, The leadership council exists to serve the members of this church primarily by assisting our lead pastor in the big-picture oversight of this church. They shall represent the church in assisting our lead pastor in developing strategic initiatives to be recommended to this church. In doing so, they shall focus with him on the what and the why of this church so that he can then go lead our ministerial staff to develop the how of this church. In addition, they shall serve the members of this church by not only providing direct personal accountability for our lead pastor, but also helping to ensure the church under his leadership remains healthy and operates in line with Scripture and God's unique calling for this church. Furthermore, the council shall serve the members of this church by recommending men and women for church approval to serve on various committees and in non-staff prudential offices. Now you can read the, the insert there. We, we've, we've listed for you the responsibilities, the qualifications for this council. Um, now, the creation of this council itself, it's generated quite a bit of discussion, and rightly so. Rightly so, because it feels new one could make a case functionally this is essentially how collinsville first baptist church has always operated but organizationally this is new it, it and it's taken some time to digest and rightly so that's why we put it out to the church 60 days before we are ever to even vote on it okay and that may not even be enough time Right? We want to give time to digest. We're, we're not pushing this until the church is ready, obviously. We don't want to just force this through. We want the church to be 
ready, okay? But the aspect that's generated maybe the most intense disagreement is that we've recommended this council be filled with wise and godly men and have not included wise and godly women. Now, I want to say this morning, where would we be without wise and godly women? I mean, I thank the Lord for them, right? I, I've been blessed by them. I've, I've been encouraged by them. I've gladly served alongside them. I married one, <laughs> praise God. I fathered one, right? Praise the Lord for wise and godly women. And of course, praise the Lord for wise and godly men. As we look in Scripture this morning and we think about men and women, we come into view of the title of this morning's message, which is this. The glorious provision of godly partnership. And, and here's today's takeaway. Here's what I'm calling you, and here's what I think Scripture's calling us to. Is that we're to rejoice in and embrace the God-given, God-shaped partnership between men and women. So let's pray together. Father, we come and we ask that you would teach us this morning. And Father, I, I, I ask... If anything I say today is wrong, God, may you erase it from the minds of this people. But Father, if I speak the word of God this morning, then I pray that you would lodge it in not just the minds of this people, but into the hearts of this people. God, we don't want to just understand your word. We want to love your word. Because then if we understand your word and we love your word, then we will live out your word. And we'll do it with joy. So God, help us to rejoice in, help us to embrace the God-given, God-shaped partnership between men and women. We ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Oh, amen. So as we think about that this morning, embracing and rejoicing in the God-given, God-shaped partnership between men and women, first I want us to consider this fact. And this is the fact. God gave us this partnership to bless us. So as the Bible begins in the book of Genesis, we see the creation of the world. And we see here, let there be light. And, and when God said that light burst forth from darkness, and God said that the light was good, and then in each step of creation, what does God do? He creates, and then he declares, it is good, until all of creation was complete. And then what does he say? He doesn't say it's just good. He says it's very good. But as we turn to Genesis 2, we see for the first time in the history of the world, God declares something not good. So God takes us from the overview of creation that's, that's found there in Genesis 1 and into some of the details of creation there in chapter 2. At this point, he's going back into the creation story. God had made the first man, Adam. And then we see, for the first time, God declared that something in creation was not good. Look at verse 18, Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. In other words, <laughs> this man needs somebody. Right? This person will never be all they can be. This person will never experience the fullness of the joy of life by themselves. Yes, there's God. Yes, there's animals. But there is not one like him. 
God desired for Adam to be fully blessed. And so in his wisdom and in his grace, he decided to make, as it says here in Scripture, a helper fit for him. Look at verse 19 through 25. This is how God fixed this not good situation. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Beloved, Adam here is overjoyed in the blessing that God had given him. He had given him a quote-unquote helper. That's the word that's used here, a, a partner for life. From the beginning, God made man and woman to, to work together. And, and, and she wasn't just a helper. She was a helper fit for him. Like him, but praise God, not the same. <laughs> fit for him, but not a duplicate of him. Adam and Eve, like all men and women, were designed to physically, sexually, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually complement each other. That's complement with an E, not with an I, right? Complement with an I means to say something good about one another, and we should, we should certainly do that. But complement with an E means to be a companion, to be a counterpart, to be a cohort, a partner that completes the other. Complement Completement. And so from the very beginning, man and woman were made to complement each other, to be partners. And in this partnership, y'all, there is so much equality. First, men and women are equally made in the image of God. Equally made in the image of God. Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So both men and women equally made in the image of God. Secondly, we see equality of men and women given as far as equal access to the Father and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Consider with me Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Same access, right? In that same vein, here's what we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Same sort of language. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, 
We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Now, when you put those two together, right, in light of Galatians 3, we would be right to infer here in 1 Corinthians 12, here, male and female also, both men and women are baptized into one body and made to drink of one spirit. So we both, men and women, have equal access to the Father and the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Third, we would say this. Men and women are equal in receiving spiritual gifting by the Holy Spirit. Take, for instance, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 3 through 8. says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. What he's saying here is that we don't all have the same gifts, but guess what? There are no men spiritual gifts and women spiritual gifts. Men and women have equal opportunity in receiving gifting by the Holy Spirit. So beloved, this is a beautiful God-given partnership. And he did this. God did this to bless us. So I want to encourage you this morning to rejoice in that, to embrace that God-given partnership between men and women. But secondly this morning, I want us to consider... The fact number two, that God shaped this partnership to bless us. It was given to bless us, and it was shaped to bless us. Now, he didn't just give us this partnership and say, y'all go figure this out however you want to. No, God gave us the partnership, and then he shaped the partnership. He gives us guidelines for how the partnership is supposed to function in the home and in the church so that we will be blessed. Now, when we turn to Scripture, we find what we've already said, that men and women are complementary, like two puzzle pieces. Just picture two puzzle pieces in your mind. Two puzzle pieces of equal constitution, equal value, equal inherent beauty, but shaped a bit differently, yet also shaped to fit together, just like two puzzle pieces. As it says in 1 Corinthians eleven eleven. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. There's an interconnectedness here, right? There is a, a togetherness here. That's biblical complementarity. That's biblical, biblical completement, okay? We're equal, but not the same. We are equal, but not interchangeable. We're equal, but God's given us different abilities and strengths. We are equal, but God has given us different roles. And just because God's given us different roles, one role to men, another role to women when it comes to the home and to the church, that doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. It does not mean that one is more important than the other. It just means that God in his wisdom has seen fit to assign particular roles to men. 
particular roles to women in the family and in the church. And in these roles, there's togetherness. Men and women need one another. And here's the key. When we fulfill these God-given complementary roles, we flourish. When we fill these God-given, God-shaped, complementary roles, we flourish. We read a moment ago in Romans 11, again, which could be summarized as this. God's ways are not always our ways, but God's ways are always better. Do you still believe that? Beloved, God gave us this partnership to bless us, and he shaped this partnership to bless us. And when we turn to Scripture, with this partnership between men and women in the home and in the church, we see that God has shaped it using a dynamic of head and helper. Head and helper. We see it first laid out in the home through the marriage partnership of man and woman. We saw the language of helper in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so God gave women as wives that helper role. And then we turn to Ephesians 5, 22, down through 28. And we hear the language of a loving head. Wives, it says here, Ephesians 5, 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For who loves his wife loves himself. So here we see God has given men as husbands that, that loving head role, that loving leader role. Now let's get real. I know this language makes us uncomfortable. It makes many people uncomfortable. Both men and women both men and women and for some of us it just makes us angry and that's understandable given the culture that we swim in the culture that we swim in labels the sort of thinking that the Holy Spirit of God just communicated to us through Moses and through Paul as chauvinistic sexist misogynist patriarchal but I say beloved please be careful to never label any teaching found in scripture with such negative and, and worldly labels I say to you is the Bible true is it true absolutely it's true is what the Bible says what God says it is right so is God chauvinistic is God sexist? Is God misogynist? I say to you, may it never be. Is God-shaped roles between men and women ever negative? Again, may it never 
be God shaped this dynamic, this partnership to, to bless us. But swimming in the culture that we paddle through every day, right? It's not surprising that, that folks take on pieces of the cultural thinking that surrounds us. I mean, looking at the culture we live in, the world we live in, we are in the final stages. Just look at the, uh, the nation around us, the, the culture around us. We are in the final stages of the devil's push to deconstruct the godly gift of gender and the good gift of complementarity such that our culture sunk to the absurdity of not even knowing the difference between a man and a woman. We can have a Supreme Court justice sit at the congressional hearing and say, I cannot tell you what a woman is because I am not an expert in womanhood. Beloved, that's cultural absurdity. And I want to say, look, when you look here, when we look here, Society is suffering for it. Men and women, boys and girls, are suffering because of it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we have to determine whether or not we're going to be a people of the Bible or a people of the culture. Will, be a, will, 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 we, will we be a people shaped by Scripture or, or people shaped by culture? And I, I, I pray we desire, and I know you desire this because I know you. I, I love you. you. You love me, and we love the Bible together. We desire to be scriptural over cultural. And this head helper dynamic in marriage, it's clearly laid out for men as husbands and women as wives in scripture, which then leads into the second place that this dynamic is spelled out, namely the church. There is a head helper dynamic for men and women in the church as well. It's established by God. It's founded in the home, continues over into the church. We see it most clearly spelled out in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in the 11th verse, it says this. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, I read this verse a few weeks back as part of an announcement. And I regret not providing some teaching then. Because this verse, <laughs> some would say this is probably the most controversial text in the Bible, right? And here Ben just came up and read it and didn't give any explanation. It's so rife with potential misunderstanding, so ripe with potential misapplication. Beloved, what we see here is a principle of godly and wise male leadership over the church. And this is not just talking about pastors and deacons at this point. We'll get there in a moment, okay? But in 1 Timothy 2, it's broader than just the biblical offices. Here in 1 Timothy 2, there is a general biblical principle of godly, wise male leadership over the church. Apostle Paul here, he even emphasizes his apostolic authority, saying, I do not permit. That, that's not just him giving his opinion. That's him speaking with apostolic authority. And so the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul, first says that when it comes to the body of the local church, he is God's, uh, he as God's authoritative spokesman, as an apostle, does not permit a woman to teach a man. 
Now that last phrase there in 1 Timothy 2.12, that's how it should be read. I do not permit a woman to teach a man. It's not that God doesn't permit a woman to teach, period. It's that he doesn't allow a woman to teach a man. You see, in the mixed gathering of church, church men, church women, it's godly, wise men who should speak when it comes to teaching. It's an outworking of this head helper dynamic. Now, it's not that women can't speak. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right? I mean, that, that's ridiculous, right? We want women to speak. Right? We want them to comment. We want them to, to fellowship. We want them to ask questions. We want them to discuss. We want them to shout amen. Right? We want them to sing and pray and, and read scripture. But in terms of teaching, in a mixed gathering of men and women, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, it is men who should be delivering the teaching. So she is to be quiet in that sense. In the sense that she's to be the learner and not the teacher. Now, if there's a sister with the gift of teaching, and praise God that we have a congregation full of them, she should certainly exercise that gift. Amen? But in the proper context, in the proper sphere which is the teaching of other women, the teaching of students and, and children. In fact, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul calls women to do just that. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach, listen to that, they are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So I praise God, y'all, for the preaching ministry of godly, wise women throughout this church and women's Sunday school classes and student classes and children's classes and wives teaching along their husbands and couples' classes, right? I, I'm blessed by them. My wife's blessed by them. My children are blessed by them. We are blessed by them. And in doing so, they honor and glorify God and they do good for the body. But they are not, it says here, to outright teach men. This, because of this God-shaped head helper dynamic. But the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul here says something further. Not only does he say that he doesn't permit a woman to teach a man, he also, he says here, doesn't permit a woman to exercise authority over a man in the church body. In other words, he doesn't permit a woman to exercise headship over men in the church. Again, here's that head helper dynamic, right? The, the overall leadership of the church, just like in the home, is biblically reserved for godly and wise Christian men. And so when it comes to the overall leadership of the church, she's to be a helper and not a head. Again, this doesn't mean that women cannot lead an area of the church. Right, I mean, I'm thankful for godly wise women in this church who, who wonderfully lead 
a part of this church. I'm thankful for women who serve on committees and even chair committees. Praise God for them. I, I thank God for women who, 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 um, who serve on ministry teams and, and even lead ministry teams. I'm thankful for Miss Courtney, our director of children and church media, man. I'm, I'm thankful for my wife and Sherry and Stephanie who lead our women's ministry. Again, as I said earlier, where would we be? Where would we be without women? And so we praise God for wise and godly women. But when it comes to roles in the church, God has shaped this partnership such that the leadership over the entire church is reserved for men. Now, not just pastors and deacons, but men in general. Again, not every man, but godly, wise men. And God has done this to bless us. This is a principle of godly, wise male leadership over the church. And because of that principle, then we move into 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul begins to address the offices of pastor and deacon, which again are reserved for men. So you have to see the interconnectedness here out of all of this, right? One flows out of the other. The office of pastor and deacons reserved for men because God shaped the church with the principle of wise and godly men leading it in general. And God shaped the church with the principle of wise and godly men leading it in general because God has shaped the family such that the husband is to be the head of the wife. And so just for clarity, let's run it the other way. Let's run the reasoning in the other direction. God shaped the partnership between men and women in the home such that there is male headship in the home. And because of that, there's male headship in general over the church. And because of that, there's male headship in the church offices of pastor and deacon. Now, as you might expect, there are going to be many folks who try to explain away this teaching from 1 Timothy chapter 2 concerning the Holy Spirit's teaching here. Folks who try to do this can get pretty creative. And, and I don't have time this morning to touch on all of them, but I do want to address the two most popular. First, there are those that don't believe the Bible. right? They just say Paul is wrong here. We love him, but he was a man trapped in his chauvinistic, sexist, misogynist, patriarchal culture. He just didn't know any better. But now we know better. I don't think anybody in this congregation wants to go down that route. Second is those who believe the Bible but try to explain this teaching away by confining this teaching only to the church in Ephesus in the first century where Timothy was the pastor. They'll argue that Paul said these things because the women in Ephesus were just uneducated, or others will say these women, they were trying to be overbearing, they were trying to be controlling. Either way, they say this teaching was a teaching for that time, that place, that church. It has absolutely no bearing on women and men today. But I say to you, beloved, the context doesn't allow that. The context doesn't allow that. Note that Paul grounds his argument not in Ephesus, but in Eden, which is to say that he grounds this prohibition in the event of creation and the fall. 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't ground this argument in the environment of Ephesus, but the event of creation and the fall. Look at verse 12, 13, 14. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Why? Well, he tells us exactly. Next two verses. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So he grounds it in Eden, not Ephesus. It, it has nothing to do whatsoever with the situation in Timothy's church there. It has everything to do with creation and the fall. I, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Why? Because Adam was created first, which is a way to say that Adam, that God created Adam as Eve's head and Eve was Adam's helper that head helper dynamic right it continues forward from Eden into Ephesus to Collinsville and two I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man why because Eve was deceived by the devil not Adam now scripture holds Adam accountable right Scripture holds Adam accountable for the fall, but because he was the head of Eve, it was Eve who came out from under her husband's headship and was deceived by the serpent, the devil. And for these reasons, Apostle Paul puts forth the principle of godly, wise male leadership in general over the church. Now you might be thinking, I don't think those are good reasons. I think those are awful reasons. Those reasons don't make any sense to me. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who's given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to him be glory forever amen so beloved this morning i call you to rejoice in to embrace the god-given god-shaped partnership between men and women god gave us this partnership to bless us and he shaped this partnership to bless us and so with these truths in mind i want to turn for just a few minutes to the implications the implications for our godly partnership here at Collinsville First Baptist Church. First, guys, we're going to see women as the Bible does, as indispensable, gifted ministry partners. Let me say that again. We're going to see women as the Bible does, as indispensable, gifted ministry partners. I want to make sure that's heard well. The church needs women. You are essential. And any man that thinks a woman is not, is not essential and vital to the ministry of the church, and this church in particular is out of their mind. We need godly women. We need strong women of faith to serve God and to build the kingdom. Second, we're going to encourage women to serve in the multitude of ways God and their gifting has opened for them. Yeah, God doesn't permit a woman to teach a man or exercise authority over a man in the, God, in the gathered body of the church. But that's not the only way to serve God. In fact, 
One pastor wrote a really helpful article detailing seven big ways women can be excellent ministry partners in a local church. Right? There's a multitude of ways to serve God. As a generous patron, he listed. As a hard worker. As an edifying teacher. As a faithful evangelist. As a courageous partner. As an empathetic caregiver. And as a worthy example. So we will encourage women to serve in the multitude of ways that God and their gifting has, has opened for them. And we're going to do the same thing for men for that matter. But brothers and sisters, we would be wise to not focus on the few things Scripture says we cannot do or should not do, but instead focus on the many things it says we can do and should do. To focus exclusively on the overall leadership, which is limited by Scripture to men, that distracts from the otherwise diverse, rewarding ministries that both genders engage in. Finally, I'll say this as implications for this church. We will reserve roles for men like the leadership council, which would assist me in the overall leadership of this church. Beloved, this is in no way a slap at women. This is in no way trying to cut out women's voices or women's votes. It is simply trying to organize the overall leadership of this church in a way that honors scripture in, in the year and a half that, that I've been here as the, as the pastor of Collinsville First Baptist Church if there's one thing I've learned about you and I've learned a lot of things about you and, and praise God for you but I've come to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this church loves the Bible and wants to follow it and I believe that the reserving of the role of leadership council to men would do that but, but what about women's voices well, beloved, we would not only invite and welcome women's voices, but we expect that. We need women's voices, right? This recommended leadership council is put forth in the proposed bylaws. It, it will not operate in a vacuum. The five godly and wise men that would come along, Pastor Paul and me, on this council will seek input from the entire congregation, both men and women, before anything is recommended back to the congregation. And yes, when you read the responsibilities for this council, all decisions except the few procedural things that you'll find there are still brought before the congregation for vote. The leadership council is a recommending body, not a decision-making body. The decision-making is still reserved in the proposed bylaws as it is right now for the congregation and always will be. So please understand that. Now some have said, well, this is just Pastor Ben trying to gain power. And I would say to you, beloved, that is completely uncharitable. It's a completely skeptical way of seeing things. I would encourage you to guard your heart. I would encourage you to not give the devil a foothold. I, I, would, I would encourage you, as the Bible says, to have self-control over your tongue. First, I am not the operations committee. This doesn't come from just Pastor Ben. It comes from Sean Whitney, Christy Rokliff, 
Rayburn Mabry, Penny Robinson, Murphy Goodman, Pastor Paul, and myself. Y'all, the lay people on this committee are long-standing members of this church. These are the people that know, you know love this church. You know they are godly and wise men and women. Second, I'm already the lead pastor of the church. I don't need to gain power. I mean, look, if, if there's a power dynamic involved in this, it's actually giving away power by asking the congregation to choose five godly and wise laymen from the congregation to come alongside me in the big picture oversight of the church. Listen, it's, it's me saying I, I don't want all the power I currently have because I, more than any of you, I realize I, I don't have all the gifting. I don't have all the wisdom. I don't have all the insight. And y'all, I, I want to lead the church well. I want to lead the church well. Therefore, I value others' input. And I believe these brothers would be a great help to me in leading this congregation. Now you say, why did y'all do it this way? Well, because it's the best way in our research and in our experience that we, we wouldn't recommend it if we didn't believe it was the best way, but it doesn't have to be this way. But again, it's the recommendation that is coming to the church. Again, I believe these brothers would be a great help to me in leading this congregation. And so as we move forward to strengthen our core for a hundred more, we are simply aiming to set this church up for godly success for years to come. Here's my final prayer this morning. May the blessings of God flow to us through our obedience to God. Let's pray together.